Matthew chapter 7. You can see the outline in the bulletin. So as we come to the text, I want you to keep remembering the context. Jesus is teaching his disciples and others who are serious about following him. So the 12 and others, and he's teaching them about true righteousness, about uh, being the person and doing the things that uh, please God. In that day, the scribes and the Pharisees were looked to as the model of righteousness. But remember, Jesus said in verse 20 of chapter 5, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, the models, quote-unquote, unless your righteousness surpasses them, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this morning's passage, I think, is very important for us because it deals with the question of what we should do if we notice sin in the life of a brother or sister in Christ. So this morning's passage, very important for us, it deals with the question of what we should do if we notice sin in the life of a brother or sister in Christ. That's going to happen. What we do in the body of Christ is very important. Now, I've heard verse 1 of chapter 7 quoted, uh, judge not that you be not judged, as an argument to keep from interfering into others' lives. Listen, that is not what Jesus is teaching. So don't think that way, but let's get it right. He is teaching how to lovingly help others grow in true righteousness. Jesus gives a command, a correction, and a challenge. And if we understand all three, we will understand that we should and what we should and what we should not do if we notice sin in the life of a brother or sister in Christ. So this might challenge you because you have talked to others and you need to learn how to do that better. Or it might challenge you because you never do that. And sometimes God might want to use you in a way of blessing someone else. A verse we'll read later, iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. So the command, the correction, and the challenge. First of all, the command in verses 1 and 2, and the command is don't be a judge. But let's understand what he means. Do not judge, verse 1, so that you will not be judged. Jesus has in view the proud fault finder, uh, like the Pharisee, the finger pointer who is quick to tell others that they are wrong and to teach others where they are deficient. So I could begin to go down the aisles and just pick one or several and just begin to, no, I wouldn't do that. But what if I did? That would be me being the proud fault finder to do it in that way, particularly, and make you the object of some lesson that I'm trying to prove. No, that's not the way. To judge in that way is, is, would be for me to act as if I were God and for anyone to act as if they are God. As if you have perfect knowledge, in other words. Perfect knowledge of someone's behavior, their right and wrong. You might have some knowledge of that. Perfect knowledge of God's standards, and you certainly should have knowledge of that, but it 
may not be perfect. We're still learning and growing in our understanding of word. But especially, we don't have perfect knowledge of people's motives. And sometimes that comes into play in what we perceive as wrong behavior in the life of another. We don't have perfect knowledge. Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, saying, I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. I can truly say of each of us, we are not God. So let us not judge others as if we are God. We do not have perfect knowledge. We also do not have perfect motives in this. The judge that Jesus is referring to in verse 1 does not have love or mercy in his heart toward others. It, it, usually it is pride in the heart. I'm not like this. They shouldn't be like it either. And in condemning others, such a person exalts themselves, and God would know perhaps that's their true motivation. Jesus has already identified in the Sermon on the Mount the elephant in the room. It is the Pharisees and how they are looked to as models, but yet they are not good models of righteousness. And in the area of sinful judgment, they are violators of judging others in this way. Later in his ministry, Jesus will tell a parable about those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. It's in Luke 18, verse 9 and following. Who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who, exalt, who humbles himself will be exalted. We don't have perfect knowledge. We don't have a perfect motive, and we don't have a perfect method. Often comments by this kind of a judge are made publicly that should be made privately. And often comments are generalized to an entire group in one sweeping condemnation that should lovingly be made to one or maybe to a few. We see this done in print media. We see it done in social media. But we also see it done in conversation. And we're guilty of it sometimes. In addition to being deficient in knowledge, motive, and method, this kind of judging is dangerous because it will be answered by the scorn of man, Jesus goes on to say, and the justice of God. You see, those who proudly point their finger at others 
may be labeled by man and will be labeled by God as self-righteous. Look at verse 1 and 2. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. From man and certainly from God, such will receive a more rigid justice. And that's what Jesus said says in verse 2. For in the, in the way that you judge, notice, in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. What is Jesus saying in the way you judge? Well, is there any love in your comment? Is there any mercy? Is there any compassion that you as a sinner would be talking about someone else's sin either to them or especially in a sinful way to a group rather than to them? Are those things missing? Then you're not going to receive those things from others and God will withhold them as well. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. What is he saying? He is saying you reap what you sow in the way you judge others. Luke puts it this way, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. So there, that attitude of being ready to forgive. Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Jesus is not teaching that we should turn a blind eye toward sin, but neither should we turn an unloving, self-righteous eye toward sin. That's what he's saying in these two verses. So the command, don't be a judge. The correction, don't be a hypocrite. Why do you look, verse 3, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. These verses are addressed to someone who can only see out and look at others and assess them, and apparently not in. Uh, they are someone who recognizes sin in other lives, even little things, specks, notice the word Jesus chooses, but not notice even big sins, logs, or beams in his or her own life. A speck is a small particle that might easily find its way into your eye. We've all experienced that. And it probably here represents sins that, that many people struggle with and stumble into. The log or beam is that which the planks of a house would rest on. And the size indicates that the sin is, is serious and that it is obvious to others. Self-righteousness, lack of love for others, Jesus is referring to. Such a person is in no condition to help others. It's like a blind man seeking to be an eye doctor. It's, it's not going to work well. Jesus speaks truth in verse 5. You hypocrites. First, take the log out of your own eye. Such a person has sin to repent of before they can be of any help to others. So how do we remove beams from our eyes? If we're thinking about this text and we realize I've been overly critical of others, I haven't had love, I've just been mad and said words in anger and criticized, didn't have compassion, didn't realize that 
I and my sin have other things wrong. I just didn't come at it in a way that God would want me. How do we remove beams? Well, we first of all receive truth from Jesus and believe that this is something we need to hear in our own lives. The Holy Spirit, when you're open and when you receive the word, will bring conviction, will bring repentance, which leads to confession and commitment. The Pharisee that we read about in Luke 18, well, he did not receive the truth in Jesus' parable. Because what he should have said after he saw the uh, publican saying, or the tax collector saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. What he should have said was, me too, God, me too. The word hypocrite that Jesus uses in verse 5 is from a word meaning one who wears a mask. And in this case, the mask of the is the scribes and Pharisees' rigid outward obedience to the law and to the traditions. And they were very uh, disciplined in it. And, and that in itself wasn't wrong to be disciplined. But the fact that it covered over pride and lack of mercy in their hearts was wrong. The inner disciplines of humility, of mercy and compassion, which are to characterize believers, Old Testament believers and New Testament believers, it was absent. Jesus would describe them later in his ministry as whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. That's very descriptive. You wouldn't know what's on the inside from the outside is his point. But what's on the inside is very concerning. Let me tell you something else that that says. It says that God sees inside of us. He knows what's on the inside. And he knows what we present on the outside. So just know that God knows you fully. And if you are in any way like a Pharisee, like one wearing a mask, like a hypocrite, just know that you're not to God. Okay? He knows what's on the outside. He knows what's on the inside. Jesus is saying, don't attempt to help another out of sin until you've examined your own heart and motives. Don't point proud fingers. Give a humble hand to others who need help with sin. So the command, don't be a judge. The correction, don't be a hypocrite. And the challenge, be a brother. Be a sister. That is, accept responsibility to help others with sin. It may be as simple as praying for someone, but it might be more than that. That's where Jesus leads us in the text, verse 5. First take the log out of your own eye. And then, and then, there's more. Don't just be right on the inside toward others and compassionate and be praying. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So the speck in your brother or sister's eye should be a concern. We should want to help. But we must help with love and humility. So after examining our own life, our own motives toward the individual, the brother, the sister, with love in our heart, we can see clearly, Jesus says, to help another. And we would do so personally. And we wouldn't point a finger from a distance. We would 
give a humble helping hand to a brother or sister in confidence, personally. Like the picture Jesus gives of one delicately extracting that speck, that foreign object, out of the eye of another, we are to gently, lovingly, carefully, specifically correct and offer help to those who are erring. You've had something in your eye and didn't, that didn't come out uh, right away, and you get help from someone else. Think of what that picture looks like. Uh, the one who has it in their eye is looking up into light generally, trying to, to open their eye, and the other with a tissue is just delicately looking and looking for the speck and dabbing it to get it out. It's gentle. It's personal. It's specific. That's the picture Jesus is giving. Christendom was a first century preacher known for faithful biblical exegesis, and he said concerning this passage, correct him, but not as a foe, nor as an adversary, exacting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicines. In other words, to help one another. A couple of passages that speak to this, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. You might have already thought of that in your mind. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Uh, spiritual would be having discernment of right and wrong according to God's word. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So spiritual will also mean uh, living in the fruit of the spirit. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. In Matthew 18, verse 15, a, a passage about discipline in a church setting, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. So there again, it starts with a personal, a loving interaction with another. The goal, and Jesus' goal for his church today is, Disciples, you and I, as believers, focused on him, helping one another keep that focus and regain that focus when it is lost. It, it, it is a loving, humble attitude that could be expressed by this. I don't come as one who's perfect. I come desiring that you and I be all we can be in Christ, believing Jesus wants that as well. And I want to encourage you in this area. Uh, could be someone's treatment of their spouse or a child's treatment of their parents. It could be church attendance. It could be you've heard critical words about others. And you want to talk to them about that practice of doing what we're talking about in, in a finger-pointing way rather than a loving way. Okay? That's the lesson of verses 1 through 5. But then there's verse 6, which I think is connected. The connection is not easy to see at first, but I'll say it this way. None of what te Jesus teaches here should be interpreted to mean that we must be uncritical of others, naive to the action or character of others, especially with those who are lost. There is a turn in the passage here. So while being merciful, we also must be careful. 
And while being compassionate, we must not compromise. And while being concerned for souls, we must be cautious against the influence and actions of the ungodly. So this activity that would take place lovingly and mercifully and carefully in the church, it doesn't always translate to the world and to unbelievers. Verse 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs. Now we'll talk about what that probably is. Do not throw your pearls before the swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I'm not saying we should have a different set of standards for the world. I'm just saying there is a connection to what has come before uh, that if you are carefully bringing loving criticism to another believer in Christ, we would expect them to care about that, and it would be a situation where there could be mutual growth in Christ. But you wouldn't necessarily expect that to a co-worker who's lost. You'd be more careful, maybe at... uh, um, approach things in a different way. So that's the connection. But Jesus is also talking in verse 6 about something that goes particularly to the disciples' ministry that would be coming to them. So this here is a caution against continuing to share the holy doctrine of the gospel, the pearl of great price, as one parable puts it, with those who have heard it, verse 6, and despise it. Those who have had ample opportunity to hear and receive, but have decisively, even defiantly, rejected it. This was Jesus' instruction to the disciples when he sent them out. In Matthew chapter 10, you're in Matthew, just turn a few chapters to chapter 10, verse 14, where Jesus says, 1014, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or city. Shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah and that in the day of judgment than for that city. And in Matthew 10, verse 23, just down a little bit, whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Do not give what is holy to the dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This was Paul's practice in ministry as well. Look, if you would, at Acts chapter 13, verse 44. Acts 13, verse 44. Paul's first missionary journey, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, to Jews. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many had been appointed to eternal life believed. 
And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. And verse 51 is what Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, verse 6. They shook the dust off their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium, to another place where there would be open doors for the word. So what is Jesus teaching in verse 6? That there are times to move on to a more receptive and less dangerous audience. Jesus dealt with this because he knew his disciples would face it. They would face it from the Pharisees, the leaders of religious Israel. They would face it from others as well. Missionaries on the field face it, our IMB missionaries. We need to pray about this because there needs to be great wisdom in knowing when to stay so that people who have nothing to do with asking them to leave can have the audience hearing the gospel and knowing when it is time to go. It's a challenging question, and we want to pray that for especially our missionaries who are in difficult places where uh, the government does not want them to share the gospel. Some implications of this, and we're going to focus primarily on verses 1 through 5 here. God wants us to be discerning of true righteousness. So when you hear somebody say, well, judge not, we're not supposed to judge, just know in your mind, it may not be the time to have the conversation, but that's not the right way to quote scripture. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. God wants us to be discerning of true righteousness and to help one another grow in Christlikeness. And that's all throughout scripture. Proverbs 27 and verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Ephesians 4 verse 15. We are to speak the truth in love. In speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We are to grow up and, and it's speaking the truth one to another in love. Romans 15 verse 14. Concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, not dead men's bones, notice, but goodness filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. There's not a log in the eye, and you're able to help others with the specs. First Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This biblical mandate to be encouragers as brethren, it is not an invitation for any of us to impose personal preference on someone or personal interpretation upon someone. Rather, it is something that causes us all to be teachable, to want Christ-like preferences, Christ-like behavior, correct interpretation of Scripture. We should be able to have open conversations, open discussions about areas of concern with one another. 
about specks and logs because of the common desire to grow in Christ. Does that make sense? So this is not a passage that tells you to be quiet. This is a passage that teaches you to be looking with love how you can encourage one another toward Christ-likeness. If you do not share that desire because you have not received Jesus Christ personally as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would recognize the value of the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ, the pearl of great price, it is called in a parable. And may God give you the sense, the spiritual sense to recognize and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, to admit your sin, to believe that he was the Son of God come down, to live the perfect life and to die death upon the cross for sin, and to confess him as Lord and as Savior. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this instruction so important to the body of Christ and important as well, verse 6, to our thinking of the world around us and wanting the gospel to go forward, but yet to go forward wisely. Help our missionaries with that. Help us with unloving attitudes with critical attitudes that are not from a desire for Christ-likeness, but a desire to exalt ourselves. So, Father, we, we want to see that as sin, confess it, and repent of it. I pray you would do that work in our midst. And I pray that we would be more and more a fellowship where it happens more and more that we have conversations and, and there's freedom and there's desire to grow and as I desire to put sin behind and to continue to be conformed to the image of Christ. I thank you that you use brothers and sisters in that work as Jesus is describing. And I pray, I pray that we would be open to that should someone approach us and that we would be open to approaching others. Lord, this is a work of your spirit. We would be afraid of it. It's a work of your spirit, so we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.